Welcome back to another episode of the Sarah Palsy and Fitness Podcast. I'm here with John Cruz. He will be telling us his story about how he's overcome cerebral palsy from, from birth to now, a little bit about his, his family history and how they helped him uh, be so supportive throughout his life and his time while being around the military. So welcome, John. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to learn about you and how you've overcome your your seropalsy diagnosis. So feel free to go ahead and tell us uh, tell us about your yourself and what you've overcome. So I was born uh, in 1970. Um, by today's standards, technology was far more simple. But I think I was born at the right time. My father was in the military. Um, so because of that relationship, I was able to get what I think is possibly the best care possible at that time for somebody with cerebral palsy. Um, I mentioned it uh, before the start, officially it's diagnosed, I believe is a hypotonastic spastic diplegia. So it's all four regions, but what? primarily wow. the, yeah, the um, impact is in my legs. Um, so I have a hard time walking. Um, so are, are you, are you, are you fully uh, wheelchair bound? Like you can't really move? Nope, I'm ambulatory. I'm ambulatory. Okay. And so here to, to state it plainly, I'm a person just like anybody else. CPS exactly. Stop me from doing what I wanted to do. Um, I'm married, I'm divorced. I raised five kids, two grandkids. Wow. Um, and as a newly divorced or recently separated person. Um, the scariest thing because of cerebral palsy for me is that one bad fall. I'm, I'm on my own. And while I have my kids in the area, nobody's in the house, right? So one bad fall and, I, and who knows how we could be. It's a, it's a lot of, um, I'm sure it's, a, it's very stressful and traumatic if you fall, especially when there's not anyone there to kind of assist you, right? Exactly. And so um, I make use of a hiking stick, and that's my adaptive equipment. And here's why. Um, and maybe this is just terminology or... or um, hey, feel free, to, feel, free to, feel free to teach us a little bit about terminology, man. I'm, I'm all for it. Well, see, I to me, and this is just me, so I have a stigma. I don't want a walker. I don't want a king. Those are for people with disabilities. And I have a friend who used to say this is best, one of my best friends. In fact, he's my best friend that I'm not directly related to. He used to tell me, you ain't disabled. You just fucking walk funny. And that was great. So that stuck with me to a certain degree that if my friends can accept me that's, and my family accepts me, that's all I need. So again, back to the, the terminology, I don't want a walker. I don't want a cane. What I use currently is a hiking stick. Why? Because that's not for disabled people. Everybody that goes hiking and walking in rugged terrain uses a hiking stick. So I use a freaking hiking stick. I'm not, I don't have a disability. I'm not using a walker. I'm not using a cane. I have those items. I even have a wheelchair. And at this point, because of my age and being on my own, I'm really considering 
going to get a um, power chair and, and something that will help me when I go shopping because I'm ambulatory, as I mentioned, and I can get around, but I fatigue easily. And now that I'm in my 50s, it's not so much the activity that concerns me, it's the recovery. That is yeah. the most difficult part. So I used to be able to, as a younger person, 20s and even 30s a little bit, um, I can go whatever I'm going to do and a good night's sleep after a full day's activity would be fine. Now it's not that way. Now it's a weekend and now it's, oh God, not only is it a weekend, I want to take a nap. Why am, why am I so achy? I have um, orthotics for my shoes, custom orthotics, and those have been a blessing. Yeah, those, I, I wear love. orthotics myself, so I wear iPhones yeah. myself. Yeah, they're awesome. Yeah. They That's are. So, so, so let me ask you this. Do you have any difficulties putting on your shoes? Oh, yeah. Like normal, regular shoes I had to tie. Definitely, definitely difficult. You know, they're um, especially since you have to find some that are very wide for the brace to fit in. And that's a challenge. That's a pain in the ass. I'm, I'm, I'm well, not so going to lie to you. No, I, I know what it is. So I'm lucky. I use um, orthotics. So I don't have full AFOs that come out of the shoe. They're just to um, assist with flat feet, obviously. So palsy, flat feet is a common aspect of it. I have that. So I have these orthotics that are custom built that stay inside my shoes. And for a long time, I used to have my ex-wife and even my daughter and my youngest son at sometimes I needed help to put on my shoes. However, within the last three years, and particularly because that's when my ex and I started separating or became estranged, for lack of a better way to explain it, I needed to find a way to put on my own shoes um, without help. And I found an adaptive pair of shoes and I can't. I was shocked. I was like, I gotta try something. And these adaptive pair, these adaptive shoes. And when I say adaptive, you it, you can step into them, and they have this mechanism or the shoe design so that the heel will pop back up. So if you step in, you're not stepping in and getting the heel stuck. So man, that was great. And so the other adaptive device that I love, I love my socket. I love my socket. To me, it's like a game. Put the sock on, and I'm fishing. Get it down, okay, got to angle my foot and all that stuff. So I'm completely independent in that. Finding those adaptive shoes and having my socket, I'm as independent as I was in my 20s. I don't need anybody to help me get dressed. I don't need anybody to help me with shoes. I don't need anybody to help me with socks. And I'm lucky, again, as I said, I'm nervous about that, and I found it. So um, those are my favorite things. And then, as I said, you know, with orthotics, and you said we got to find the wide shoes. Man, these shoes barely accommodate my AFOs, barely accommodate them, but I need them. And I found a way, I had, it takes a good two weeks to get them fully stretched out to accommodate and, and be 100% functional. But without these shoes, I'd be lost. Exactly. I can give you a suggestion as far as like shoes. I have, have you heard of Billy shoes? Billy footwear? No, I haven't. They actually make shoes that are adapted. So what the shoe is, is there's a, it's already tied. So you don't have to tie them. And all you have to do is there's a zipper on the side. So you have to do is open up the zipper. It'll open up the top of the shoe, put your AFO in, put your foot in, and then I have to zip it back up and your shoes on. I'm going to have to take a look into those because the shoes yeah. I use now are called Kizix. Here's the problem with them. They aren't made for people with disabilities. So it takes two weeks to get them 
to accommodate the the airflow and the way that I put them on um, takes that long of an adjustment period. Three weeks later, they're worn out because of my weight, because of the way I walk. And it's not so much that the sole may be worn out, but because there's so much difference in the way I walk compared to somebody who doesn't have CP that I just wear the structure of the shoe out. So they, they tend to um, irritate or um, develop my feet, develop corns and all that stuff. And it just, sometimes the shoes are achy to put on, but that's because they're already worn out because they weren't designed for somebody with a disability. But they're the most, um, they're the most um, functional shoe for regaining independence. That's what it is. So the shoe you just mentioned, I'm gonna take a look into those. But if I hadn't found those, those shoes, those Kizix, and there's another brand that advertises as well, but the Kizix have more of a um, casual dress look or casual business look. And granted, I work from home, and, and it's ironic. I'll get to that at my job in a minute. Um, but yeah, I like having the opportunity to wear something that, oh, I can wear if I want to. I can buy these this pair of blue shoes. Oh, I want to get a pair of, of tan shoes. I can get those. Kizik has multiple colors and multiple styles. The styles that work for business casual, those are the ones that I are kind of wear out quick. They have other models that are more like sneakers and it, I get them, but I just don't feel like I'm working uh, when I have them. And I actually work for the state where I live and I work for, it's called DDD, the Division of Developmental Disabilities. So initially when I started, I was a support coordinator. So I would go out and actually do assessments for people with developmental disabilities and, and, and help them get the services that they need if they were qualified under my, my state of residence's so, program list. So kind of like folk rehab. Uh, more focused, actually. It really is because folk rehab can be for anybody. My, my job when I started as a support coordinator, and that was the title, um, I'm working with people who either are born with um, cerebral palsy, an automatic qualifier, people who are on the autism spectrum chart. If you're on that, that's a potential or at risk for it. That's an almost automatic diagnosis. And, and, and you can get in people with epilepsy. I believe there has been language now to change that as of just this year, I think Down syndrome is also a qualifying diagnosis. So I would go in to meet my clients and, and I have, and I had clients, you know, minors, so children and their parents, and I would have adults. So I would go in and they would say, they have difficulty with this. So, all right, so I can, I can get you a service. Like we have a service called Rehabilitation Hourly. That's where an agency comes out and, not only, uh, and comes out and works on a specific set of goals that are implemented through the members particular program. And at the time it was initially called an ISP or individualized um, support program. And then it changed into a planning document. And currently that document is called a person-centered service plan. And each one of those plans is, is intended to assist the member um, achieve the highest quality of life possible for that member. So for me, I always felt it as it was ironic that I as a person with cerebral palsy I'm going in to meet other people who potentially could have cerebral palsy and often sometimes did have cerebral palsy. 
and assessing them or, or assessing them for services and telling their parents based on our state guidelines, here's what you're eligible for. Based on our state guidelines, I think this is a service that would help you. We should look into this, right? And so here's the thing that I started to think about because I'm a child, I was a child with cerebral palsy. I don't know that I ever properly thanked my parents. I don't know that I ever could thank my parents for what they did for me. Not many parents, and perhaps that's, um, I'm putting my parents on a pedestal with this thought, but how many parents are going to find a way to help their child who has a developmental disability get to where he wants to go in life? And again, so I've told you, my, my parents were children during World War II. So my mom was that typical mother. She stayed at home. In fact, she never drove. So who was driving me to weekly appointments? Who was taking me weekly therapy appointments? Who was driving me to uh, regular doctor's appointments? Well, those were my older siblings. And, and they didn't have a choice, right? So they're 16, uh, 17, whatever the age. All right, your brother has an appointment tomorrow. You got to take him because that has to go to work. That was a regular occurrence, right? My mom did that, you know, would take me. And my mom, my parents made it a point to do everything they could for me. So I remember growing up, we had some property in the city where I grew up. But as I started, as I got to kindergarten age, my parents sold that house and moved almost literally across the street from the, the elementary school I was going to attend. And it was still something they wouldn't let me walk to school by myself. My mom walked me to school, right? And, and I'm thankful for that. But I never got to really, I don't know that they'll ever understand or that I was capable of explaining how much gratitude I have for that. And I started to think about that in my job. And I would talk to the parents and I would say, you know, I, I understand what you're doing because I've been a child with, I, am a, I was a child with a disability. And I don't know that, your child will ever be able to express this because I know I, I don't think I express it to my parents, but as sincerely as I can, I thank you. Everything you're doing is for your child to help them have the greatest opportunity that they can. And I started doing that sincerely and it was quite the reaction that I would get. It would, it, it would stop parents cold. And they would take them a good two, three, five minutes to recompose themselves because they were literally break down in tears. They had never thought that they would ever be able to hear primarily their child or somebody express the gratitude for what they were doing and the struggles that it entails. Hey, brother, you know, it takes, sometimes it takes a whole village to get you to where you're, you're at today. So I can, yeah. I can, I can relate to you. You know, I went through, yeah. I went through a death and, and early on in my family, I lost my mom. Um, yeah. I was supposed to never amount to anything. And here I am today being able to help you guys share your story. I work as an, at, I work as a youth advocate for at-risk students at our, at our middle schools. Right. Community. Right. So now it's our, it's our opportunity to make a difference. And that's what we're doing now. Uh, speaking about you in school, how is it like for you going through school growing up? Was it well, rough? Was it easy for you? I was the youngest of five kids. And so 
my closest aged sibling, my, one of my next closest brother, seven years older than me. And I remember, um, so at the, I always had somebody to look out for me. And as I said, I was a child of the 70s, so I was in high school in the mid, uh, mid 80s, right? And my brother, so I'm 16, 17, so my brother's mid, early to mid 20s. And there was a senior attending the same school I went. And, and my brother came to me and said, if you ever have a problem, talk to him. I know he can handle himself. And I told him, if he doesn't watch out for you, I'm going to take care of him. And he knows that's a problem. So I always had somebody looking out for me. And so here's the thing, going through school, it was easy. I was pretty good at school. I'm fortunate, again, I was diagnosed, you know, mild cerebral palsy. The only sort of learning impediment I ran into, I can't stand math. Give me words, give me concepts and ideas that need to be processed and contemplated and assessed. I can do that. Give me X's and Y's equal square roots of X and over the sigma of this. Oh, I'm lost. I'm lost. <laughs> and you and I was math, what... man. Oh, <laughs> man. Actually... Go ahead. I was terrible with it, too. Like growing up with uh, doing math, man, yeah. forget about it. No. Oh, so, so here's the thing I tried and tried as at that initial college age to get through school. And I, was, I excelled at everything. When I say Excel, I got by. I got by at everything, but I swear to God, I couldn't get past pre-algebra. In community college at the time, junior college, couldn't get past pre-algebra. So I actually had the teacher call me and say, why do you keep taking my class? Are you in the military or something? Do you get paid to take my class and then vomit? Oh my God, no. I'm wow. really just trying. But you know what? I understand his frustration. He was the best math teacher. Everybody recommended him. I just had so little interest in it, I couldn't process it. So school went for me being, this is where I'm okay. I stopped it. But it was something I always wanted to do. So here's, here's where I like to think of, you know, Kanye West, right? And yeah. he had that album, College Dropout. I beat him. I'm a grad school dropout. So I, I went back later in life. I got my degree in English in, officially in the summer of 2015. But I had enrolled simultaneously in graduate program, graduate school uh, programs. And I got right up to the final two classes, oh, which no. is where you do your research. And then after you do your research, you write your, we called it a capstone. It was a capstone in my program. Your dissertation, uh, right? Uh, more or less, it, it was getting to that point, but it was a master's program. So at our college, we call it a capstone. This okay. is your capstone. You have your um, program instructor. You are going to present. You have to defend. So yes, more or less a dissertation, right? So I got to that point where I'm going to do the research and I figured out what I'm going to write on. And dude, I think it's so great because I was, I, I thought it was a great topic because it mattered to me. And, and I was always interested in identity in relation to society. But what does it mean to be disabled in society? And so on and so forth. And I started to the, the my instructors were guiding me towards, well, you have to be able to connect it to other forms of discipline, other ideas and concepts as your research foundation so that you can make those connections. So 
I started looking at uh, feminism as a part of the program and then LGBTQ studies. So the feminism is actually, and I used to think about it, and so I thought about this a lot. So feminism is um, bias in society based on gender, conflict in gender. So how do you overcome that? What's that's the relationship? That's the foundation for um, disabled studies, disabled theory. That's one foundation in my view. The other foundation is LGBTQ studies because it's conflict in self in relation to society. And so it's about choosing one's gender or acknowledging one's right. personal identity, right? So man, those are the two foundations and I got it. I just could not find it. And then, so I dropped out, that's the short end. But what I like to say is cerebral palsy got me and I just couldn't focus because I was in too much pain. That's part of it, but more of it was like, this is hard. Hey, on the bright side, you went further than most people would. Yes. With yes. cerebral palsy. So yes. kudos to you. I, I, I never went up in my master's. I've always dabbled with going back, but right. who knows? I mean, the fact that you made it this far gives me some motivation. And I hope that, I hope that helps because look, this is something I truly believe. And it's something I used to drill into my kids. Education can only benefit the one who pursues it. Exactly. If you pursue it and accomplish it, great. No one can take that from you. Because, and this is something that I also feel is a filter. Education isn't a filter in, it's a filter out. And, and, and if you don't have the high school diploma, you can't apply for this job. If you don't have the college diploma, you can't apply for this job. Well, go as far as you can, because every time you go, you take away one of those barriers. And I, and I say this, um, I had a friend, African-American, and, and we used to say this together, because again, that's cultural identity. There's a bias based on race, right? We used to say this all the time because, you know, I felt like we were the outsiders, right? We used to say, my mere presence, in my mere presence, in my mere persistence in presence is resistance to the system. I refuse to let them, we refuse to let the system dictate to us where we can be and what we can do. I will go as far as my mind will let me and my body will accommodate. And that's what was so, my mere presence is resistance and I will resist it, I'll call, I will resist it all turns. Just because I'm disabled, don't expect that I'm not going to make an effort. As I said, I did everything, I've, I've tried to do everything that I wanted in life. I wanted to be married here and hopefully this is the key. My greatest role model, my greatest inspiration was as a man, was my father. My greatest goal, my greatest aspiration in life was to be just like my father. And to some degree, I have. He's got this, he had this disposition that you could not bring down. He was always happy and, or always tried to be happy, right? That, that was just it. So I, I, I gladly claim that from him. But I, I, from my mother, I take the fact that I kind of had. I have to, there's no way that I can survive as a person with cerebral palsy without planning ahead. And I tell this to my friends um, and anybody that listens today, for me, life is a matter of logistics. How do I get from point A to point B? Once I figure that out, I'm gone, it's over, I can exactly. do it. 
So, so that's it for me. So I did that. So life hasn't stopped me. Um, I wanted to hang out with my friends. And I told you, my, one of my, my best friends said, you're not disabled. You just walk funny. Well, I, that, that's my best friend because I chose to run with um, the crowd that accepted me. And growing up, oh, cerebral palsy? No, I'm not a jock. Can't play sports. That ain't going to work. Oh, uh, you got cerebral palsy. Can't dance. That ain't going to work. To this day, I think dancing is the best thing you can do as a young man if you want to go try to flirt with girls. Girls love to, some girls love to dance. And if you can dance, you're going to have a good time. Hey, couldn't do that. Who I hung out with, and at the, at the time, um, you know, hip hop was coming in, so I hung out with. I hung out with all the uh, people that weren't jocks, preppies, or you know, cool kids. I was hanging out with the people that were going out, writing graffiti on the wall, listening to rap music, going out, and people just, um, you know, I don't advocate this as an advocate for youth at risk. Don't ever tell them the underage drink, but I did. Right, I'm hanging out with this crowd, and maybe yeah. that happens with everybody, but that was my crowd. My crowd, we do this. We want a low ride. We want to we go low ride, or we do, you know, um, we're going to be around low riders. We're going to listen to music as loud as we can listen to it in the car and just cruise. Good times for me. Learned how to um, just function in that way. So that's ingrained in me to, to a certain degree that. It's, it's, and it's not so much, it's not so pronounced now, but it's always been against them because I don't trust anybody. If you're not in my circle, I can't trust you because I don't know if you're going to, and the simple fact, like I said, we talked about a bad fall. I don't know if all you got to do is push me down. I might be able to defend myself, but if you get me down, it's going to take me three minutes to get up. So I'm not going to let anybody get me down or, you know, so I present myself. And in my own uh, personal ideal vision of myself, I'm not the one you want to mess with. Little, but in, in the reality, the reality is, if you come and knock me over, I'm a turtle on my back. So I have to figure out, I have to present myself such that you either really like me or really don't want to mess with me. But here's the other thing that I've learned as a person with cerebral palsy. People who don't have disabilities don't see people who do. We're the people that they forget right. about, right? So every uh, most other identity politics have something visual or um, vociferous that makes others aware of. People with disabilities are often ignored. And I've proven that many a time and again, I don't advocate for this. I have some friends and, and we used to go out to lunch and, and um, oh, let's get this. Oh, man, this is a really nice cup. Oh, you want it? I'll take it. They ain't gonna say nothing. Watch me. Nobody ever pays attention to the person with disabilities because nobody wants to get called out for staring at the person with disabilities. So my friends look at me, you're crazy. You're gonna do that. Watch me. Take a swig. I took the cup. Hey, look, I'm going to take both of them. Said it loud as hell in front of the waiter. And we walked out. Nothing. Don't ever do that. It's wrong. It's bad. But that's just an example. People don't see us. I mean, if you, if, um, 
I was gonna say it was it was pretty much that at that time. I mean, of course, as you said, you know, you don't condone it. It was that it was your form of done and dash, but it was a way of for you to get attention, you know. Yeah, well, hey, look, I'm just like you. I'm not. I'm just like you. I want to be your friend. You want this? I'm gonna try to help you get. Right. It may not have been the best way to do things, but hey, we we got we you know we she had to come. She was like, okay, the next time we go, we need two more so I can have a whole set. We never went back. <laughs> so, but you know, that's just. That's just one of the things that I do. I, I carry myself. So um, to, to really be honest, the way that I've let cerebral palsy not stop me is I haven't let it stop me. Um, yeah. No, flirting with girls. Maybe I wasn't so successful all the time, but flirting with girls as a teenager. And, and here's what made me laugh. Uh, my parents moved from California to Arizona 1989. I didn't come to Arizona till 99. But anyway, so this wasn't too long after the move, so it might have been the early 90s. And I'm at a family party, and, and in my culture, our families get together a lot. My cousins were my best friends, right? First cousins. And um, I went to this family party, and you know, you have those older uncles who just sit there and rule the roost. So I'm walking by and they stopped me and, and, they, and they were like, it's funny. Hey boy. Oh shit, they stopped me. <laughs> That's uncle. Hey, we just want to talk to you. <laughs> oh shit. Okay, what is it now? <laughs> and they, they said they said, uh, I'm sitting there nervous. You know, like, oh God, what are they gonna tell me? What I do, what I mess up now? They go, hey man, your dad told us stories about you. And I said, What were you talking about? And they said, man, you know, you know, boy, with your legs, your dad didn't expect much from you. And when it comes to girls, right? I was like, what? You know, just thinking in my head. And then they go like this. But man, your dad was bragging. He said, they said, man, your dad tell us, you're the one he never expected to bring home girls. You brought home more girls than all your brothers. <laughs> hey. Oh, yeah. hey, hey, so let me tell you, it's not that there were girl friends. I had girls who were friends. So that's what it was. Exactly. Maybe there was a girlfriend or two, but it's just the idea. My dad didn't give me the credit for, or give me credit for being sort of a, um, you know, a Romeo, whatever you want to call it, Lothario, player, however you choose to say it. But here I am, and my uncles who are sitting here drinking beer and laughing at me because I'm sweating. They go, oh God, they're going to give me hell. They're telling me my dad was bragging about me. So that was cool. But I was just like, oh, God, that was, whew, that was, I, I walked away, wiped my brow, said, man, I thought that was going to be worse than it was. But that was cool. So my dad never told me that. And, and I know he told it to them in a humorous manner. But there's a grain of truth to that, right? And my poor son, he's never going to have a girlfriend. He's never going to be anything. You know, whatever the case, I'm not, and I'm not saying that, man. Um, but it was my dad that he was always happy, and I'm just like him in that sense. Um, and I've had, you have, have you have you had surgery for cerebral palsy? I've had about ten different surgeries. Okay, you beat me. I've had four. How old were you when you had the first surgery? I was about seven, turning eight. I was three. I got you there. I was yeah. three years old at my first surgery. 
I've had four surgeries that I know of. So, and each surgery was to lengthen muscles so that they could accommodate growth, which irks me to no end because I'm like five foot nothing. I'm five foot four on a good day with shoes, right? And so here's even worse. My parents, my middle name is Patrick. Love my family, but why the hell did my parents name me after the two shortest uncles in the family? Oh, so man. I got the I got the short names, so I got the uncle, the short uncle's names, and I got cerebral palsy. How much worse could it be? Right? But see, just to making that joke, that's part of my disposition. I, I, I overcome through my words. My words are my power. My ability to, communi- to communicate is my power. Um, and that comes from being in all those damn doctor's appointments as a seven-year-old and hearing my my walking pattern described as an externally rotating gait, or, or um, maybe we need to fuse his ankles so that they're more stable. But if you fuse his ankles, he's going to lose that up and down mobility. That's not good at his age. So here are all those things. And I just wanted to be talked to, not talked at or talked about. The only way to include myself was to learn the vocabulary. You know, I don't know about you, but for me nowadays, I tend to take my disability and incorporate uh, not just, you know, advocacy and, and, and motivation, but I like to sometimes when I'm around my good friends, I like to poke humor, humor at myself, you know, like we'll be doing some stuff and I'll be like, I'll be like, hey, I'll probably get away with it because I can walk like a penguin, you know, I'll walk like, you know, I'll walk like a oh. penguin or I'll be like, you know, hey, I can get away with this because I can do, I can do that or I'll be like, exactly. Hey, I'm your free parking spot. You know, I'm, uh, you know, no, and, and I'm doing that. So working. Yep, exactly that. So my sense of humor is, is, is a little more um, twisted. I tell my friends, come on, man, let's go get drunk. When I'm drunk, I'll walk straight. I'll be good when I'm drunk, right? So, you know, we go out to drink, and, and, and I, I have a really good friend, and I never expected anybody to know that joke outside of the people I've told it to. Well, she knew that joke. She says to me, come on, let's go drink. You probably walk straight when you drink drunk, huh? I said, what the hell? How did you know that one? And she told me, my mom has cerebral palsy. And I, that blew me away. I was like, oh, damn. And that's how one of the things that I, I appreciate her friendship for is that she kind of knows what I go through because she has a mom. Her mom has the same disability. And, and that's cool. Uh, not cool that she has it, but, you know, I'm a friend that I can relate to. That's, of course, yeah. that's cool. I can relate to it. So I'm grateful for that, and I love it. But yeah, I, I poke humor at myself all the time in that way. But again, I got to do it in a way that not only am I poking fun at myself, but I got to be as cool as possible. Like I have to maintain my own prime ideal vision of myself. I try you know, to. And a lot of people don't realize is um, when it comes to us having cerebral palsy, when we use humor and positivity and incorporate it in our lives, it makes things a whole lot easier. It's not that we pity ourselves, it's that we, we, we embrace who we are, you know, what we look like, what we do, um, you know, friendships that we make, we embrace all that. Yeah, see, and that, that, uh, we do. And so here's the other thing I, 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 I joke about, and I don't know this anymore because there may be people's influences with cerebral palsy who are less affected than I am with mine. And I like to tell them, man, I'm the flyest, fattest motherfucker you will ever meet with cerebral palsy. Nobody can keep up with me. 
And it's just, you know, they all, you see exactly that. They, they chuckle. That's what you chuckling at. I'm the baddest motherfucker you will ever meet. You know? Oh, man. And, and, and that's just me. And so, see, look, like I said, I grew up in a time when hip hop was just starting. And my words are my power. I can rap. I do rap. And it's not that I'm trying to be famous. But, man, when I was in my 20s, oh, man, that was a dream. And I didn't know how to pursue it. I didn't know. And now there are people who, who can, you, you can buy beats online and there's recording equipment. It's fun. I, I, I actually have a bunch of beats right now that I'm waiting to record to because I actually proposing. Sometimes I get tired and lazy, but I've got some beats that I like and, and, and I just want to record. And again, it's not about trying to be super famous or be or, or, or achieve any particular notoriety with music. But it's something I grew up and I love. I love words. And and right. I, I'm a tone deaf idiot. Can't sing for for supper. Couldn't sing to save my life. But if you want me to write a rhyme and, and, and rhyme to a beat, I can do that. And I like doing that. Um, like I said, so cerebral palsy hasn't stopped me from enjoying life. Right? Five kids, grandkids. And now on my own. So I'm single again. I just wish I was 20 again. Right? So, right. so I, and I'm fortunate. I have friends who have become like family. Um, the hardest part of being a parent who has cerebral palsy is, and, and, and it wouldn't even have to be cerebral palsy, understanding that as young adults, my kids need to live their own lives. Right. And, and, and it's hard for me knowing that it was the time. My youngest is 23. I think he's 23. Born in 1998, whatever that adds up to, right? He was born in 98. See, I'm old. I forget sometimes. That's 24? Yeah, I mean, see, and that's the other thing. He has a birthday in the same week as I do. So I, I have two sons and myself all have a birthday within the same week. So on the 24th, wow. I have uh, the 28th and the 30th all this month. So that was that that little blip of time. My wife hated. My ex-wife hated. That's three damn parties she got to throw all at once. Right? So most of the oh, time, it wasn't necessarily my party, but it was a party for my son. Uh, you know, it was either turning 16, he's older, or a young one, whatever. But it was never really officially my party. It was always theirs, and it was oh, it's John's birthday too, right? That kind of thing. But that is what defined me, family defined me. So at this point, being divorced and 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 understand and knowing and understanding that my kids need to have their own lives, that's the hardest part for me because I find, and I did that. I'm going to go back to that. I told you my greatest inspiration and greatest uh, role model was my father. Well, I did it. My father had five kids, four boys and one girl. I had four boys and one girl in a little bit different order. My sister is the second oldest. My daughter, the second youngest. But I did what I wanted. My dad was my role model. I wanted to be just like him. And, and to be just like him and having a family. So that was my greatest success. Having a family. Hey, you know, you know what, John, 
I, I gotta tell you this, man. It's um, man, you 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 motivated me a whole lot. Like to and you've you've honestly to a lot of people in our situation, especially you, you've done it all. I mean, you've 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 had you've overcome Sir Paul's child. You were able to have your own family. You got married. You have kids. Um, you've done all that, and you still have time. You still have time to accomplish things, and 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 I, I I'm still trying to get to that point where I can finally you know um, be with someone stable, and you know eventually get married and all. But that's awesome, man. That's that's incredible. And I commend you for it. Thank you. And so here, um, I will acknowledge this. I am sorely lost to this day without my family, without my wife, but understand my ex-wife but understanding that my kids had to grow. Now, we got together, we were still very young, or I, you know, younger adults. I felt that I found my match, somebody that accepted me for, for me, despite my disability. And that worked out for the better part of two decades, two and a half decades, going on, you know, 30 years, whatever the case. But it just, at one point, it came to an end. So whatever my part is, in that crumbling of the relationship, I accept it. And I regret that I lost it, but my ex-wife helped me achieve what I have, helped me get to, helped me finish school. She supported me through a lot. I couldn't have done it without family. That's why I said my family was my greatest success. She gave you, she gave you so many, like, like despite the, uh, the crumbling, she gave you so many blessings in the forms of kids, you getting you through school, all those things, you know? Yes, I agree 100%. And I acknowledge that to this day. So I wish her happiness in whatever she does. There, I, there's nothing that, that I can take away from her. And there's no reason to have any negative feelings. Exactly. All the things that she brought to me. So I wish her the best, and, 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 and I, I, I miss that. I really do. Because, again, family was all that ever mattered to me. And, and you know, I told you that story about my uncles. So we're, we're Pacific Islanders from the island of Guam. And, again, it wasn't the same uncles that, that did this that told me the story about my dad. But I remember being, like, 8 or 10 years old and, and young and in all of life, right? And I looked around and my uncle was was, uh, was around and this was at a Christmas party. So we had Christmas functions where we would get together with family. So my uncle happened to be outside smoking and I was, you know, a little kid. Little kids just talk craziness, right? I looked around, but I was in complete awe. I was just happy. This was like the comfort zone. I looked at him and I said, uncle, you know what? When I grew up, I want to marry a small girl because I love our family and I want to ca carry on the way we do things, our traditions. And he looked at me and, you know, you don't expect depth. And this is how deep it was. It struck me as an eight-year-old that this is important. He said to me, boy, because that's what older people, older generations call the youngsters. It doesn't matter. You can be 25. If that's your uncle, they're going to call you boy. You can be 30. If that's your uncle, he's going to call you boy. But I was eight. So the time it fit. Is boy, it doesn't matter who you marry. You carry on your traditions with your kids. 
and you are honoring your traditions. You're carrying it on. You can fall in love with anybody you want to fall in love with. And as long as you respect your culture, you know, carry on your traditions and do the things that you see us do, you can marry a Martian, right? And that struck me. That struck me as saying, man, that's deep. That's an uncle saying, I don't have to marry somebody that's the same nationality. I don't have to marry that. It's just up to me to carry that tradition on. Right. And that was deep. So that was cool. And you know what? That's the way it turned out. Um, I've always looked, and it's hard, so I don't know if this, this it will be relatable, but I've always kind of, because of that insular nation of insular um, nature of family, parents always want to protect. I was coddled, very much so. Um, but I always wanted to get out. So I always looked externally for additional support. So I grew up, not only did I have my cousins as my best friends, but my friends that were outside the family, I looked to, um, my friends were all Hispanic. And the reason I say this is because in my family, everybody knows me as John John. That was the name that people called me as I was growing up. Oh, go get John John. Oh, oh wait. John John can't help you because he can't walk right. John John doesn't have to do a lot of stuff, right? But as a growing up, what, is the, what does a kid want to do? Kid wants to do stuff. So granted, I didn't want to do the chores because we had a big <laughs> family. And when we do family parties, we would have to, my cousin, my boy cousins, and I, and, they, and, and it, this was a real directive. So we, we had such a big family um, throughout Southern California. Like there were, my dad had double digit siblings and there were about six in Southern California, six siblings, maybe around that number from San Diego to LA. So when the families got together, the families got together. And so we would take up parking, block full of parking. And so this was a directive I remember at one of the parties Uncle's coming out with a trash bag. Hey, you boys, go up and down the block and check all the cars, make sure there's no trash. But don't make John John do anything. He should just stay here. <laughs> and I, I also kept calling, go, all right, you go, but don't do anything. Let them do everything. And my cousins would give me so much hell. <laughs> you know, what do you mean don't do anything? You're gonna, you're gonna carry the bag, you're cursing at me and whatever, and you know you're taking <laughs> right. Oh so, man, so it, it, that was just it. It was always that directive look out for him. So I looked outside my own family because I needed to create my own definition of self. And I did that. I hung out with, as I said, that crowd that was out writing graffiti on the walls. I hung out with my, my, the, the, my friends, um, were all Hispanic, right? They were in Southern California, the majority of my friends were Mexican. Um, and, and that's just who I hung out with. And so I look to them, and to this day, not necessarily because of them, but because I chose to try to um, understand, I, I, I clicked with them. So I found that self-definition outside with my friends because they let me be, because as, as, as my friends, and I figured this out, I had to figure out how to explain it. I figured out that my friends would accept me as long as I kept my word. 
It's, uh, hey, hey, come over. You're going to come over? What time are you going to be here? I get my word. That's all that matters. Hey, we're going to go do this. You can, can you make it? Yeah, I'll be there. Hey, we need help. We need a ride. And it's not necessarily a ride, but hey, we're going to go. And we need, you know, can you help us? As long and, and that's what I was. My friends to this day, as long as you're loyal, that's all that matters. So I found that ability to define myself outside of my family because my family already defined me. That's, that's John John with cerebral palsy. That's Uncle Leon's son. That's, that's Auntie Kita's son. That's the one that has a disability. Right. It's powerful, brother. It's real powerful. Yeah. So, so I found that. So I found that outside the family with my friends who were Mexican. When I met my ex-wife, she's Samoan. And, and, and I, I fell into um, accepting that culture. And, and it is a beautiful culture. And I've told you I love language and I love words. And, and if you've ever heard... Um, someone speaks Samoan or even Tongan or other Polynesian languages, man, to me, it's the most lyrical language you can hear. It is, it is beautiful in, in its truest form, right? It, I can hear it. And like I said, I love words. So I hear language. And again, you don't ever want to have anybody be mad and yell at you, let alone in Samoan or Tongan or whatever. But still, in the natural course of conversation, I used to love listening to my wife speak when she would speak to other family members her side that would speak Samoan. And, and I just think it's a beautiful language. I do. So I found I was able to define myself not only with my friends, but with my ex-wife, because again, that's another place. What matters? Keep your word. I kept my word as much as possible. And I even raised my sons to do that. I raised my sons, if you tell somebody you're going to do it, you do it. You break your back. And I didn't say back before you break your word. That's all that matters. You keep your word, period. You know, if you and I, that now here, here's the caveat. If you aren't breaking the law, hurting yourself or somebody else, you break your back before you break your word. That's what I used to teach my sons, because that's what I learned. You learn to be loyal, you learn to keep your word, and people will trust you. And that's the most important thing you can have in this life is people who trust you. Because if they trust you, they will help you exactly. if you need it. So I've done a lot. I'm fortunate to have done a lot. And if you ever want to have a conversation with me, be honest, because I talk, I can, I can dog walk somebody when it comes to talking. We can talk all day and you, you tell me what you want to talk about and I'll find a way to talk about it. But I, do you have any specific questions, man? I feel like I've gone on about myself. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay, man. I've actually had, um, I've had a blast with you. Like you've been a, a breath of fresh air. Like, you know, you have this upbeat personality and like we can relate to a lot about a lot of things. And I've learned some stuff about you and about myself. And um, I, I would like to know, have you ever thought about writing a book? Man, I love writing. Here's the thing. I'm also aware of this because of college. The self-doubt that people have in general as they grow older and learning to trust themselves, it's taken me even longer to trust myself with that because I always have that self-doubt. Is it going to be good enough? I don't know if they'll accept me because of cerebral palsy. And that's my own hang-up. 
as good as I am and here, I'm going to tell you, this is what I tell people all the time about myself. And you can call it bravado, call it whatever. I tell people, when you need me, you will never fucking forget me because I'm unfucking forgettable period. I say that and I say it with my chest and I mean it. But when it comes to putting my own thoughts down and trusting myself, I'm good. You hear me speak, you know, and, and I think in my conversation with you today, I've demonstrated my ability to use words. So verbally solid um, in written form, even better because I can take my time and I can edit. But do I trust myself to do that? So that's the hardest part. I kind of had this conversation with a friend of mine last night. And I said, she sent me this thing on TikTok about three things to learn. And I forget what they were, but there was one thing that was forgotten. The only other, besides those three things, the hardest thing anybody can learn to accept, and I'm a prime example of it, is learning to accept themselves. Like, I know I'm good at a lot of stuff. I know I'm good at words. There isn't anybody short of my rhetoric English teacher in grad school. There have, I have only ever met less than five people who have intimidated me verbally. I can speak with anybody. I can speak at the most academic level. And I can speak at the most lower, at the lowest, most gutter level. And in my life, I have only met at most four people who have intimidated verbally. And one of them was my most favorite professor at, at uh, ASU. And to this day, I count her as somebody that I would never want to argue with. But I count her also as um, providing me the greatest insight into learning how to use words and how to um, convey an idea. And, I, and, I, and that, that's something that I enjoy um, because I want to be challenged. So it wasn't only that particular professor. She's one of my favorites. And, and, and um, I, maybe if I chosen her as my um, program instructor when I was doing my master's, maybe I would have finished. Right, but I didn't, I went with somebody else. And that one was a great professor too, but the other one was just so inspiring to me. So she intimidated me. And not only did she intimidate me, but there was another English professor who was actually, um, I think like a vice president at the time of the school. Um, and I'll give them both credit. Uh, Marlene Trump is an excellent professor. She intimidated the hell out of me. She, I had one class with her. She was the one that was like, um, administration level beyond being a teacher. The other professor is Sharon Kirsch. She is an absolutely awesome professor. Any class that um, an English major could take with her would be so beneficial. And, and she was awesome. And you've heard me, I'm not afraid to speak. So I went in one day and we were talking about stuff and I lightly challenged her. And she said, you wouldn't stand a chance. And I said, well, I would fall on my sword for the class. And she laughed. Yeah, you'd be falling real quick. <laughs> Something to that effect. But yeah, I knew, you know, in any kind of debate, I wouldn't have stood a chance. But I liked her and I, and, and I admire her. 
Um, so she's my favorite professor ever. There's another professor I had at community college here, um, Professor uh, Philip Roderick. He was also, um, um, what's the word? He was essential to me going as far as I did. In fact, he and I became friends for a period and I almost can tell you, I can tell you, I almost had a job lined up with him at an English department. All I needed to do was finish my master's because he was going to be in a different, he, his position was changing and we'd already discussed it um, to a certain degree that man, I would love to teach. And in fact, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to teach um, because I like talking and that's 30 people that got to listen to me what the hell I got to say. So I'm going to love it. <laughs> I'm going to love it. But then I started thinking about it after that. I was like, man, I kind of dodged a bullet because even if that's at most 30 kids, 30 students, and I'm teaching three classes, that's 100 freaking pages. I got to read every six months, every semester, you know, and I'm not, and that's just one paper, right? Because at community college level, we were writing three to seven page papers at most and, and maybe two two papers per semester that's a lot of freaking reading i'm glad i you know what i, I would have loved to teach because i i generally have a passion for english but i'm glad i didn't because that's a lot of work on my part i forgot that it's not just me writing and telling stuff oh damn now i got a great papers <laughs> <laughs> so so I, I i that's one you know um silver lining, so to speak, right? I don't have to worry about grading papers, um, but I would love to write a book. I just haven't trusted myself to do so. I, I told you, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm unfucking forgettable Unfucking forgettable And I have tons of stories. And, and, and I, I keep thinking to myself, man, I just figured out what makes writing good? And I really did. This is what I think to myself. So that's my ego um, saying, I know what makes writing, or I think I know what makes writing um, enduring. It's always um, a question of self accepting X, whether X is self or X is society. There's always a conflict between self and something. And resolution always winds up being self-accepting whatever needs to be accepted. That's what makes writing key. And if you can tell a story where that happens and it can connect with people, that makes something that will last forever. Oh, brother, I definitely, I appreciate you and all, all knowledge you've given uh, us today here on the show. Um, I'd love to have you on again for, for uh, another episode to kind of uh, venture more into your into your stories and, and have people learn more about you. So I, I definitely appreciate you being on, brother. No worries. I was glad to help. Hopefully I gave you uh, something you could use rather than just rambling on. But I do oh, no. Ramble. Oh, no, man. I've had I've had people ramble on and on and on. And I still use it because there's always something that somebody might learn. Oh damn! He just said I rambled. That hurts. Oh no! Everybody, everybody, everybody rambles. You know, yeah. everybody rambles. I, I ramble. You know, that's yeah. that's what makes it better. You know, the more like they say, the more the the more the merrier. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So yeah. And feel free to invite anytime. I'm see again. Now we're gonna go back to technology and moving me on. I don't know podcasts. 
So wherever you publish this, let me know and I'll be happy to check it out. Send me a link and I'll be happy to put it on every on Instagram, my Instagram, on my Facebook. Not that I have many people, but I'll share it. I'm happy to share it. Um, I just, you know, like I said, family's everything. Hopefully they're not embarrassed that I was over here talking all kinds of craziness, telling people, why are you telling people you're unfucking forgettable? Because I fucking am. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, I mean, to me, that's a real powerful statement in terms of, you know, like, that's how it should be. You know, everything you've yeah. accomplished, everything you've overcome mm-hmm. is a way of saying you, you won't be able to forgive me, forget me because I've accomplished all of this. Yes. You know, yes. you've created yes. a path, a path, a legacy that people are going to go back and look at and say, we can't forget John. <laughs> we can't so. we can't forget john so. you know he's a family man he yeah. works with he works with the uh the uh disability, community, disability community he you know he doesn't let sarah Posse define himself he's also a college graduate he's also he's also he also finished college mm-hmm. he made it he made it very far in the gra- graduate school and that's something a lot, a lot of people can't say right right so thank you. I appreciate that. Um, but yes, it was a pleasure to meet you. Um, as I said, I'm not familiar with podcasts or how they're distributed or where they're um, consumed, but let me know and I'll be happy to put it out there and I'll be happy to see it. See, people say, and, and so here, I, I'll be the one to keep repeating it. I'll watch it over and over again. Because like, damn, I didn't say that right. Oh, I could have said that better. I, I'll be critiquing myself. Oh yeah, it happens, man. You know, I, I I've gone through it myself with, uh, you know, whether it's through uh, through my through what I do with the with my students or through my workouts. You know, when I work, when I you know when I try yeah. and stay fit, all that kinds of stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, it was a pleasure speaking with you today. Uh, the next time we'll talk, I tell you about my barbecue because I'm I'm gonna tell the truth and shame the devil. I'm fucking good at it. <laughs> Definitely, man. Um. Yeah, you can find this episode on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, every other podcasting outlet out there. Uh, All right. Don't forget to hit like and subscribe on the YouTube channel to, follow, to All right. consider for updates. And okay. thank you guys for watching. And until next time. Yes, it was a pleasure. You have a good day. Definitely. You too, man. Thank you.